Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Happy Canada Day. It continues the 153rd anniversary of our nation being a nation. Hurrah. Hurrah, indeed. But yes. Uh, Land acknowledgement. We are podcasting from Treaty 6 territory. That we are indeed here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I don't know what our um, indigenous uh, name is. It's a, it's a big... I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yes, I know, I don't want to mangle it here until I rehearse it properly, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh Day of the Daleks, episode two and three we watched. I'm blanking on the original working title for this, but I think Terrence Dix named it Day of the Daleks because at the time a popular book and or film was called The Day of the Jackal. And I think that's where the inspiration came from for the naming of the story. I really wish Doctor Who would stop naming things after, you know, a popular culture in the <laughs> moment. Because, yeah, like the Shakespeare Code doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. I know. It could have been Love's Labor's Lost, or one rather. Mm-hmm. That's what it could have been. And everyone would remember it and laud it. But instead, mm-hmm. it's like a Dan Brown thing that was like old when <laughs> two months after it came out. Right. Where, well, I mean, I, I will say The Day of the Jackal is like... That's a thing that I know of. I've never, yeah. I've never seen the movie version of it, but I know of it. I want to see it because it's a movie from the early 1970s. I think it's British, so it's not. You know, it does, there's Robert Redford's probably not in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I don't know if it, it's it's not Hollywood, but it is from the early 1970s. So how do you feel about that? That period of film not being your favorite after all. Well, I mean, I definitely don't like Hollywood in that era, but maybe British films would be less offensive to my right. sensibilities. You know who else didn't like Hollywood in that era? Women. <laughs> there was a very poor, poor, or indeed no parts at all for women in the early to mid-1970s during the era of New Hollywood. Unlike yes. Day of the Daleks. That is called an unintentional segue. Yes, you were going to mention this last uh, episode, but you forgot, but here we are here. Yeah, actually, it's even better, I think, to mention it now because there's been even more example of it. I noticed in episode one that uh, when the brigadier is wandering into the unit HQ room, uh, you know, and these two people have been on on duty all night listening to, you know, the, the radio and making sure that the house is, is still okay. And it like both of the people who are in there are women. And like they could have just as easily been dudes sitting there. Um, yes, there are no uh, women who are squatties running around with guns um, on the unit side. But we do have the gorilla who is in charge of the mission is a woman. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like they were deciding that women couldn't be uh, couldn't carry a gun because she's not only carrying a gun, she's in charge. And then we zip to the future, which um, I totally forgot to praise the sets in the future. I only praised the uh, the past. Mm-hmm. Well, excuse me present yes that a day david myers cough jones i believe we as uh, the designer for this episode yeah and the, yeah i love the green like futures it reminds me of the emerald city a little bit in uh-huh. in the wizard of oz um so so that's great so and yeah pretty much everybody who is standing around behind the controller in that main room just off the the dalek annex is uh is a woman um d- doing work there and i mean there's there are some interesting questions to be asked about the fact that uh 
there are very few humans who will actually work for the Daleks. And it seems like most of the ones that are working in this main control room are women. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Um, and But then on the other hand, you also have like the guy who is in charge of the factory that the doctor infiltrates is a guy mm-hmm. and you know the the guard is a guy and it seems like all the ogrons are male we don't actually know um but anyway just just the fact that they have a bunch of parts of people who are mostly non-speaking uh and just kind of in the background given to women i think is is great and i feel like i'm just as i think i've said before i'm drinking this in and enjoying this because i know it's going to go away as soon as hinchcliffe and holmes take over and then the era of new Hollywood hits Doctor Who, basically. Yeah. Um, I try to think, like, uh, Paul Bernard directed this episode. He'll direct two, or story, he'll direct two more after this. Mm-hmm. And I do, I mean, I know directors had a lot bigger say in casting in those. They didn't have, like, casting directors, basically. It was up to the director to cast his own mm-hmm. uh, stories and such. And I, I don't know if that was, like, a specific, like, let's just have more, more women and such mm-hmm. in the background. Why can't we just mm-hmm. do that? And so I, I don't know if it was a response to that or or what, if it was written in the script. I know that uh, Anat um, was definitely written to be the uh, leader of the the freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on your point of view, terrorist liberation organizations were very much a thing at the, at the time of the late sixties, early seventies. She was based on, I'm going to mangle my history, but uh, I think there was a terrorist organization led by a woman whose name was Leela, who actually was the inspiration of the character Leela five years after this. Uh, she's she sort of based on that. The, you know, the gorilla outfit was very much a thing of, of, of that time period. So all of that is sort of like bathed in the time in which it was created. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But so it was, it was, it was nice to see that just from a, a yeah. casting, mm-hmm. casting perspective. Um, I also wanted to mention the, uh, the, the makeup on the, all of the, the, the bad guys in, in the future, like yep. none, none of the, uh, the gorilla fighters, like their, their skin looked, you know, basically a, a normal sheen, shall yeah. we say, but there's some sort of like metallic makeup going on and silver fingernail polish yeah. uh, on all of the, uh, the people that are part of the, you know, the ruling regime, which I think is is great like i i love the controller's outfit it's just like this beautiful shade of green i just love it it's so like you know kind of nicely tailored and simple with like the you know the the collar and the line down the front and just like i would i would totally cosplay that because it just looks fairly comfortable and i would get to have green uh not green sorry silver nail polish and some shiny makeup on my face like that's or even one of the one of the lackeys you know, at, at any stage, like one of the, one of the women, like, it's just like a, it looks like a fairly comfortable gray shirt and pants with some nail polish. That's true. My question regarding those, I mean, they're all very robotic and I can't tell, and they're, they're like, they have a sheen on their faces. Are they meant to be robots or are they just sort of like, they sort of speak in a monotone and, you know, she sort of doesn't, she looks very like askew as he walks away. And that's the only time that she really turns her head, you know? I mean, if they're meant to be robots, that has not been made clear by episode three. Uh, the way I was reading it was just they were they were the kind of people who were willing to go along with the Daleks. And I can't imagine the Daleks are particularly enthusiastic about humans showing emotion. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get by. So they're 
you know, acting not quite Dalek-esque, but just being as stiff and formal as possible. And yeah, she definitely did kind of look at him a little bit suspiciously, but that's kind of not surprising considering what a lousy job he's doing. Like people keep getting away. He's mm-hmm. got he's got these captives that he's whining and dining. I mean, if I was an underling and I was really rooting for the Daleks, I would kind of be giving that guy the side eye too. I suppose so. Could be it. Maybe they this sort of learned behavior. They learned how to sort of be more robotic in order to please their Dalek masters. Because yep. yeah. I mean, maybe they think the Daleks are robots because lots of people do lots of people do maybe maybe they are robots who knows there's no series bible to understand what's going on that's why we don't know what daleks sound like mm-hmm. or what sound effects are actually supposed to be in the episode oh my God. <laughs> the, so the reprise of both uh, episodes two and three features the cliffhanger sting from the previous episode yeah what the i i was i i mean i'm not saying i wasn't paying close attention because i pay pretty close attention when we're watching for this but for a second i thought you know at the beginning of episode two i somehow forgot that we had already seen the opening credits and thought that like here's the sting and we're gonna go into the opening credits and wait was this a cold open but no then it just stopped it was very very strange it was very strange indeed which just makes me what you talking about it now reminds me of the uh, openings to all seven episodes of the ambassadors of death which is the best of all time and i just <laughs> wish they would have kept doing that because it is really cool if they would have kept doing that would the ambassadors of death have like would that still seem as cool no, you're right it, nothing nothing is as cool as the ambassadors of death except when john pertwee gives somebody a karate chop while he's drinking a glass of whiskey that is cooler and <laughs> yeah very true mm-hmm. uh john pertwee as the doctor also just comes around the corner and obliterates an ogron very controversial scene so much so that the special edition pulls a greedo shot first oh and actually had a uh, ogron shoot at the doctor because basically the doctor sort of walks around the corner has no idea what's going on has never well i suppose he's seen the ogron because he did he yeah yeah he fought with an ogron yeah. and he just shoots the ogron without a second thought um it's like honestly that strikes me as kind of racist because uh-huh. when the humans are attacking him and you know at the very beginning you know in episode 1 right. he's got humans coming at him and you know about to execute him and he seems pretty cordial with them right. even though they're attacking him and they are clearly there to murder somebody even if that somebody isn't him and then sure he gets attacked by an ogron but mm-hmm. like he was attacked by a, a guy um, that first guy that we saw in Shura. Yeah. No, the the original guy who got zapped back. Ah, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yeah, so he was attacked by that guy. You know, karate chopped him and then doesn't kill the next human gorilla he sees. Mm-hmm. He gets attacked by an ogron, karate chops him and then comes around the corner and kills the next ogron he sees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of it is very prejudiced, isn't it? Uh, you are obviously a monster, so I'm going to shoot you uh-huh. without a second thought. And also, so does the Brigadier because, like, the Jeep pulls up and fires and kills the other one. Like, it's like, oh, we just got here. Let's shoot that thing. And so they sh- mm. shot him dead. So there's no more guns left. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the Brigadier doing that because it just seems like, you know, unit shoot first, ask questions later a little bit when it's aliens. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they saw, maybe he saw the doctor fire. So, well, if the doctor's firing guns and he apparently never fires guns, always fires guns, uh, then let's, let's shoot the other one because that's the way it's supposed to be. Now I haven't seen the entirety of this story yet, so I don't know, but 
I mean, you maybe sort of headcanon it that the doctor knows that the Ogrons are work for hire for bad guys or something. But then, you know, his questions to the controller later sort of, you know, put the lie to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, it, it makes sense that that, that would be pretty controversial. Uh, mm-hmm. But it happened. So guess what, Doctor Who fans? We have to deal with it. We do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Can't just erase history like that. We can try and explain it away or explain it, wish it out of <laughs> canon or whatever. That's what we do. Yep. Yep, that is that is definitely what we do. Speaking of the the brigadier driving up there, I thought it was very like weird that the doctor's like, no, I just need your jeep, and like you know he scooches in, takes the jeep, and just leaves. Yeah. Like this place is crawling with ogrons, and you just left the brigadier standing there in the middle of the like. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess that's pretty third doctorish there. That's that's the third doctor I don't like as much. Well, yeah, I just kind of like poo poo the military. Like, look, I can, I'm a better shot than you. Just took me one shot to shoot that Ogron down. I was, ah, to hell with you. I'm going off and using your Jeep. I do, actually, yeah, that is kind of very, um, very doctorish and sort of like disregarding the uh, the military aspect of things so he can get on with the actual work at hand. I guess. I suppose if he had invited the Brigadier to come along, there would have been a lot more questions to answer and stuff. But it just, se- I don't know, to me, the logical thing would have been like, hop in, Brig, we got to get going. Yeah. And you know he doesn't the doctor doesn't know how many how many foes he's going to run into of any sort like there could be you know 10 more gorillas waiting for him there could be 10 more ogrons there you know he doesn't know about the daleks yet but yeah. it seems like maybe strength in numbers is not the worst thing so having the brig and the squatty that was originally driving the jeep coming along with you would be okay and uh, no maybe it would probably take him there would be protestations, I bet. Mm-hmm. They bring it over. Go, oh, wait a second. What are we doing? Ah, da, 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 da. We don't got time for this. I have to go. I have to go chase yeah. them. So, time was of the essence. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a it's a doctorish move, but like it just made me do a double take for a second there. Mm-hmm. But we did get you know a nice close up on Nicholas Courtney just sort of shaking his head at the doctor. So that was nice. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot to mention uh, with the all the talk of costume and hair last uh, episode that Joe Grant, Katie Manning, having a very good uh, hair episode as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is their peak. This is their peak uh, mm-hmm. Katie Manning, John Pertwee hair in this episode. Everything goes downhill from here on in. Do you mean this episode or this story? This story. I keep saying episode. I don't use it. Maybe because we're looking at the title screen. It says episode there and it's just sort of like imprinting itself in my brain no this is the uh the top story for mm-hmm. hairstyles for both katie manning and john pertwee in my opinion mm-hmm. yours may differ uh, there is some season 10 hair that is also very good season 11 gets a little bit silly well i i think they they look good. i really do like uh joe's hair yeah in this it's great i kind of i kind of forgot to like take a good close look at the doctor's hair again in both of these episodes but i definitely looked at joe's hair and, and it's top-notch well look more at the location footage because they were shooting two episodes uh every two weeks so we just watched in episode three the first of the second half of this production basically but the film sequences were all made at the very beginning of production so it'll change ever so slightly but um uh yeah Mm -hmm. have a look and the film sequences for john pertwee's hair and speaking of Joe, yep. this still continues to not be a great Joe story. She's gullible. Gullible as Adric. Yeah, like sometimes sometimes she, she's so sharp and she doesn't fall for, for the nonsense of the bad guys, but she pretends to. And I was hoping that that's what was happening here, mm-hmm. and that is not what was happening here because as soon as the controller wanders off, uh, Joe's trying to tell the doctor he doesn't know what's going on when actually he has figured out way more than she has and... 
that's a shame. I feel like I feel like she should have been a little bit sharper just based on, you know, cause she's got that moment where she's like, oh, is that where there's a guard on the door? And I thought, aha, Joe gets this. Like right. she's 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 sensing the the regimeness of this government and no like even just the first conversation she has with the controller he's very intense and like you know leaving no room for for any kind of questions or anything i just feel like these are the kind of people that joe should have had enough experience with i guess by this time that she should be able to to see it or sense it i don't know and she just she just falls right for it and i feel like it's uh Uneven, uneven. Poor Joe. Well, it is her first um, trip in time. She's been to another planet, but she's never actually properly traveled in time before. So maybe, like, she's just not used to the Earth of the 22nd century. I don't know. They eat out of pills. They had rice cakes um, and fruit. Mm-hmm. Just completely dazzled by this weird new world. Maybe her yeah, her faculties like are another. She's never seen grapes before. Never seen. Well, because they presented you know 20th century food. We usually mine it down to pills uh-huh. and tablets, which you seem jealous by. Having had a sumptuous Indian meal earlier today, I say no. To hell with your pills. Mm-hmm. I want I want the option of both. Most of the time, I'm just too lazy. I don't want to deal with making food. Please give me a pill that can be my supper. I am jealous of the. 22nd century and they're flying cars and they're mostly motorbikes actually yeah they're giant tricycles with balloon wheels yes john pertwee enjoyed that uh as if you could tell they had a stunt driver and stunt double for candy manning on set and they were never used because pertwee was thinking no 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 this is mine and he apparently took it on many adventures during the course of filming and had to be lured back to actually (laughs) film the episode Oh, that's funny and totally not surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else about this? Uh, these two episodes that um, um, any directorial flair? There's the I, I noticed you appreciated the shot of the doctor running around the corner hiding and then noticing there's a ladder and we discover that too as a viewer because the camera pulls out mm-hmm. from having looked in between the uh, the rungs of said ladder and that's how we discover it. I thought that was kind of a clever shot. Yep. That was that was quite nice. Uh, and then I feel like the next cut is like to a bright light and like it sort of zoom. There's some nice zooms and stuff too. Like it's just, yeah, it's it's a, a, a nicely directed episode. Paul Bernard is an artsy director. Mm-hmm. He I think he was an art student or something prior to him going into television directing. So I feel like there's there's a sort of auteurness to his uh mm-hmm. his style when it comes to um to Doctor Who. I kind of appreciate it. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of it, uh the you know, the, the cliffhanger noises and, and all that. Um and and in future stories there will be stuff that I will um uh I will have issues with. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. But uh but I, I, I enjoy his fresh take on, on Doctor Who. Yeah, I feel like it it fit really well with the the sets in the future. Mm-hmm. It just you know it's very the future sets are very stylish. They're very reflective. Uh, there was one set, uh, one shot where there's a woman talking, and you can actually see her face reflected in the silver like prop half wall that's like right next to her face like Uh you can actually see her reflected in it but there are also a whole bunch of fingerprints on it like it's been handled (laughs) and i was like that actually that's you know it's kind of works because you know this is a lived-in world Mm -hmm. if people are touching that that part of the wall it's going to get fingerprints on it but it's still shiny enough that you can see the reflection in it and then you have the kind of cool canted floor that's right outside of the the interrogation room um that 
like it's you know the angles are not quite right angles and it's just it, i just thought found it very interesting maybe they're made for daleks oh that's a good thought yeah because it's it's basically i mean you have to step down to get into the room but yeah. the the corridor outside is very clearly a ramp so mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah there was a, a couple of other shots one like for 1972 is supremely technically challenging where basically the camera zooms in and on the controller and he says, you see, is he trusts me implicitly. And then it pulls back and you see that he's now on a view screen yeah. in the Dallas control room. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about that is that, you know, it's pulling away as a CSO shot, but maintaining that same mm-hmm. aspect in the screen. How they do that is that there are two camera people zooming out at the exact same time. They miss it a little bit at the, t- at the end. But I mean... That's like freehanding mm-hmm. a shot that would be like computer controlled or tracked uh, with like um, After Effects or something nowadays. That was just done by two cameramen going, let's just zoom. Are we in sync? Are we in sync? It's uh, it's ambitious and I think it worked out quite well. Yeah, that was awesome. That was very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was neat. Uh, I also was just sort of a little bit surprised by the doctor going into the, the factory. Like I was... The Daleks first say, you know, your production is down. I'm like, what are they producing? Like, this is this is new. This is news. And then, you know, it's the one factory that's obviously being run by a sympathizer, yeah. uh, which is probably why their their production is down because he's not whipping people enough or mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but then the doctor goes in and you see like, you know, a whole bunch of people, more extras, uh, carrying big garbage cans of something or other. Corn. Uh, what it was supposed to Maybe. be. Maybe. Yeah. I I thought I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be food or rocks. Right. Uh, but it w- that actually reminded me, gave me flashbacks, well, I guess flash forwards <laughs> to Destiny of the Daleks. Yes. Well, it was rocks. It was rocks then. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Then it was definitely rocks. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just sort of the whole humans as slaves being forced into, you know, a labor camp basically really felt similar. Did the same in uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth too, actually. Mm. I-, I guess that's true. Yeah. Moving rocks then too. It's either rocks or corn. <laughs> Always rocks. Human. What do we do? We enslave some humans. Get them. I don't know. Get them. Move some rocks. What else do humans do? I don't understand. Just move some rock. You move those rocks. That's what Daleks do. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's 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 their thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, can you really picture Daleks moving rocks around very easily? No. <laughs> It'd be really tough to. Pay. It's like <laughs> penguins transferring eggs from one to another. It's like, how do we do this? Why? Why didn't we get hands for this? Why are we storing eggs on our feet to keep them warm? I know. Let's get humans to move the eggs for us, just like Daleks get humans to move rocks. They're kind of shaped similar too. They are Dal- Daleks and ro- Daleks are shaped as penguins. Yeah, they are actually. Yeah, think about it. you know they kind of got a, round heads. There's a beaky protrusion, and then they're just sort of like tubular and then all of a sudden we see one fly and it's like whoa <laughs> they can fly after all mm-hmm. penguins are daleks mm-hmm. that makes sense i think we've i think we've discovered something something terrible emperor penguin is <gasps> oh my emperor God. dalek whoa it's all it's all we've cracked it wide open the beak is like the eye stalk not really um yeah yeah there we go yep now i'm Let's never go to Antarctica. <laughs> okay, deal. <laughs> Probably the safest place on Earth right now, actually. So maybe we should go there. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. Good point. Anything else uh, about uh, these middle episodes of Serial uh, KKK? <laughs> <laughs> At least it features the Daleks. That's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That does that does feel somewhat appropriate. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just I'm in, oh I did actually want to mention that uh, I, th- I I would like to think that I would have finally recognized Aubrey Woods 
when we got to like episode three where he's talking to Joe because all of the times before he's talking to the Daleks and he's very like not really modulating his voice very much. He's kind of monotone and just like, you know, kind of like that woman is. Like yeah, that's... He's doing a report basically mm-hmm. to his superiors, yeah. Exactly. But when he is talking to Joe, he is trying to sound more human, to put mm-hmm. it, you know, like... To, to put it nicely and uh and trying to convince her that this is this is fine and so his voice sounds a lot more like his voice when uh you know he's the the candy seller talking to charlie bucket in Willy wonka and the chocolate right. factory so uh yeah i i finally i finally sort of really got the recognition down um when he started talking nicely mm-hmm. or fake nicely yeah definitely fake nicely smarmy in a way Luring, I mean, if if he can lure Charlie Bucket into getting a ticket, I don't remember how the scene goes in the movie. Oh, then we'll just have to watch it again. I don't mind that. I don't mind that movie. Um, then obviously he would. He, Joe falls under his trance. Mm-hmm. So how how can you say no to the Candy Man? Ask Joe Grant that you can't. Mm-hmm. Only the Candy Man can. He can make the sunrise and. Something with do. I don't remember the words to the song. I don't know either, but Sammy Davis Jr. sure did a fine version of it, mm-hmm. but not in the movie. No, not in the movie because, I mean, Sammy Davis Jr., I mean, maybe he did a good British accent. I don't know. He could have. So did Dick Van Dyke, I understand. Oh, boy, don't even get me started. Yeah. <laughs> but I really do want to watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory now. But not before we watch episode four of Day of the Daleks. On Lazy Doctor Who. On the Incomparable Podcast Network. Goodbye. Goodbye.